You're listening to In It Together, the podcast. I'm Arun Roth. Today is August 19th, 2020. Ahead on the show, we continue our series on how the pandemic has taken a toll on our mental health. I'll speak with Dr. Chris Gill from BU School of Public Health about the emotional effect the coronavirus crisis has had on doctors and other healthcare workers. This is one of my favorite interviews from In It Together ever, and you're going to hear an extended version of it on the podcast tonight. But first, let's run through the coronavirus headlines. 365 people are currently hospitalized because of the coronavirus. That's down by nine from yesterday. The state's Department of Public Health has logged 262 new cases of the virus, bringing the total number statewide to just over 115,000. 28 deaths were also reported, bringing that total to 8,645. All this week, we've been looking at different ways mental and emotional health has been challenged during this pandemic. On Monday, we looked at the stresses hospital frontline workers face. Today, we look at the pressures on those tasked with studying the coronavirus and reporting that information out. We've had a lot of epidemiologists, scientists, and infectious disease doctors on this show over the last five months. We reached out to them and asked how they think about the virus and how it makes them feel when you or I listen or disregard their research and advice. Here are some of their responses. I am thinking about coronavirus all day long. Um, The only breaks I have is really where my work forces me to think about something else. And um, I guess I I think of those breaks as being really welcome because otherwise I guess I would be thinking about corona all the time. I think about it when I wake up. I am trying not to think about it when I go to bed and find it very difficult to do so. Quite simply, the pandemic is just about omnipresent for for just about everyone, um, from both a professional and a personal standpoint. I'm frequently fielding questions from friends and colleagues about COVID-19 and issues related to the disease itself, as well as uh, the epidemiology. I think about the virus many times a day. It is most of what I'm working on at the moment, and people are allowing me to do tests for drug treatment candidates. What do I think about most when I think about COVID-19? Well, um, I, I guess I particularly worry about how this is impacting the most vulnerable and disadvantaged people in our society. Increasingly concerned about the potential for medium to long-term persistence of post-COVID-19 symptoms. What do you think about most when you think about COVID-19? The big questions, I think, are the medium to long-term. While there's a lot of optimism and hope around vaccines, um, these are definitely slow and difficult and setbacks are, are very common. Um, so exactly how we'll navigate this whole new normal for the next um, several months or years um, is a big challenge for everyone in terms of how we structure all of our daily lives. I think a lot about how infectious the virus is, how it sp- spreads through the air, how we don't know enough to make strong decisions, and how the virus is somewhat of a moving target. So do I think people are listening to and following my advice and research about the coronavirus? Well, heck, I don't know. Um, I mean, I within my own social set, yes. Within my colleagues, yes. Within, within, you know, my student groups, yes. I think, you know, all of this is, is, you know, satisfying because we all agree. But, you know, we are not necessarily representative of the, of the country. In fact, I know we are not. Half the country, it appears to disagree with you know, the the basic measures that are required to get us out of this mess we are in. I think really one of the main challenges um, we're seeing is that the information landscape is so complicated that um, 
getting good evidence-based public health programming and responses out there um, is, is getting increasingly difficult. I'm concerned that people uh, feel a need to be in public but not wear a mask. I understand a need for civil liberties. But unless you're living in the middle of nowhere, we're all part of a greater community that relies on each other to do their part and try to hold back the spread of the virus. We heard from Dr. David Hamer from Boston University's School of Public Health and Medicine, Dr. Robert Davey at BU's National Emerging Diseases Lab, Dr. Andrew Lover, a professor of epidemiology at UMass Amherst, and Dr. Christopher Gill, also with BU's School of Public Health. Dr. Gill is with us on the line now. Dr. Gill, good to speak with you again. Hi, Arun. It's so nice to be back. So... You and and your colleagues, you know, have have been so generous with uh, letting us into your thoughts and and research over over the months. And I, I got to say, we really appreciate you now, like letting us look into your heads a, a bit more intimately in terms of how all of this is is for you. So th- thank you for that. Sure, sure. Um, you know, it, it's a tricky thing. You know, we we are all worrying about you know society and our friends and our families and our elderly uh, relatives and and worrying about you know how to get the nation's schools open. But we're also talking about our own schools in many of these cases. You know, my wife and I have spent you know much of our efforts in the last two weeks on focusing on our daughters and sons' school and help them have a safe and and, and happy semester. And throughout all of this, you know, we're trying to do our, our regular work, a lot of which is, you know, now focused on COVID-19 and worrying about the teams that we're supporting in our projects. Uh, in, in my case, yeah, I, most of my work is in Zambia. And we are, for example, doing a, a project to try to understand how many people are dying of COVID-19 in the capital city there of Lusaka. And so we, you know, we're sort of camped out at the morgue and swabbing noses of everybody who comes by and try to understand how this disease is impacting a very poor country. And about two and a half weeks ago, you know, I got up and turned on my cell phone and, you know, there was an email from my, my friend and colleague Lawrence saying that our dear friend and collaborator, Roy Chabuma had died over the weekend of COVID-19. Um, it was right in the thick of all of this. And, you know, and one of our nurses was critically ill, but thankfully pulled through so it's like none of this feels very abstract to me. It's all like right there. And and I, you know, cried and cried over this. And, you know, all of our, our work that week was basically focused on dealing with the grief of the team at the loss of this friend of ours. And um, and I'm still not over it, you know. And I, I you know, am constantly uh, having anxiety dreams. You know, I, I, I used to have dreams of calculus final exams in high school where you'd go to the you know the exam room except you couldn't find it plus your feet were glued to the floor and you hadn't studied all semester and by the way you'd forgotten to put on your clothes you know it's that that typical dream and I have dreams like that all the time you know they're on different themes like I forgot to bring my reads for my clarinet for the final performance for the the music that I hadn't bothered to learn and the conductor is screaming at me you know, and, I, and you think like, you know, this is ridiculous. It's got nothing to do, do with COVID-19, but I'm having these dreams like every other night now. And, and so, of course, it has to do with COVID-19. It's just sort of this general weight of the moment of feeling so pressed and anxious. And every day you wake up and you read the news and it's a little bit worse. It's always a little bit worse and it's more frustrating. And, you know, and we're at some level, you're sort of like scratching your head because we know what 
to do. This doesn't have to be this way. 170,000 people didn't have to die. You know, we could have managed this better and, and yet we have failed. And I, I, I know I just sort of have this sort of constant tension headache around the frustration of why did it have to be like this? It didn't have to be. Why couldn't we have been France? Why couldn't we have been Germany? Why couldn't we have been New Zealand? You know, why did it have to be this bad? And why is it like still getting worse? You know, it's, it's like, it's, it's so, it's so baffling to me. And oh, I'm I'm so sorry about the loss of your 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 colleague and and friend. You know, Dr. Gill, it's it's been something that that you and and so many of the people that we, we we've talked to who uh, have expertise have done high intensity work like this before. But it's a it's a common feature I think of all all of you that that I've spoken with. It, it's 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 not the same thing as having it literally going on outside the window around you and affecting everyone, your own family and and children. To you, you, you can't have I don't know if there's such a thing as a standard kind of medical <laughs> detachment, but uh, if that's ever possible, it seems impossible right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I was trained as a clinician and I practiced medicine for you know I guess about fifteen years. I was a trained in internal medicine and infectious disease. And it's, you know, that's a combination that brings you into contact with a lot of really sick people and a lot of them died. I know that in my relatively brief career, you know, certainly less intense than many of my colleagues who, who practice actively now, but still I've, you know, had hundreds of my patients die over the years. And the pain of that is measured in different ways. Some of them, you know, you barely knew the patient and, and the sort of a detached sadness about it, but others are really, really personal and, um, and they all weigh and weigh upon you. And, and I, I guess I feel now that it's much like that too, that sort of sense of, of loss, you know, this ever-present sadness uh, that I, I don't know, I just, I, I, I just, I feel like I'm stuck in this sort of, you know, swimming pool of molasses that's pulling me down all the time. And I, I wish that this would just end. Uh, I see, though, that there is an ending. I, I actually believe that the country is going to pull through this. Eventually, we will have a vaccine. And, I'm, you know, I'm very confident in that. Um, it's just really a matter of how do we how do we keep ourselves together as our family units, as our working units, as our society, as a, as a country? How do we keep ourselves together to stop ourselves going off the deep ends in the next half year. You know, and we talked about in, in terms of keeping us together, uh, you, you mentioned this frustration about uh, why why it, we can't be like these other countries that, uh, that have um, handled this uh, unquestionably uh, in, in, in better ways, something I think a lot of us feel. And, and something that you're, uh, I think it might have been you as well as, as your colleagues in, in that tape montage we listened to. That in the, in the position where where, where you are, it, it must be especially difficult for what, when you see these you know videos that we've all seen of people having meltdowns about wearing masks and and really just distrusting science, which seems to be something that we're suffering more from in our country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I suppose I look at that in 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 a couple different ways, and I'll I'll start with the more critical way, which is that. I feel like there is a an irrational resistance to doing this very simple thing, such as wearing a mask. You know, 
Uh, wearing a mask is somewhat unpleasant. They're stuffy. They make your nose itch. You get sweaty chin and, you know, you can't speak clearly and it's a little hard for people to hear you and it's a little hard to understand what other people are saying because you know believe it or not we all kind of read each other's lips all the time when we talk so we lose that and so there's a, a nuisance factor to the mask that is undeniable but you know it ain't so bad and it's certainly better than dying <laughs> or you know infecting someone else who dies or gets very sick even you know so the, the price to be paid is so obviously worth it and it's also so obvious that they should work you know, this, this is, you know, this is an infectious disease. It is not a, it is not a magical disease. You know, it does not obey some set of distinct rules that distinguish it from the rest of, of infectious diseases. You know, it, it spreads through the air, it spreads through respiratory droplets and masks prevent that. And so, you know, why are we debating this? It is, it is in some ways the equivalent of arguing that the world is flat, right? That, you know, it is, it is a totally irrational denial of, the obvious. So that's my, my critical take on this. But my, my more charitable take is that I understand that a lot of people are just terrified of this. And one of the things that we do naturally as humans when we're afraid is to deny the risk. It's a, it's a defense mechanism. And so in that regards, I, I totally sympathize with why people would be rebelling against masks, because accepting a mask is the same thing as accepting that there's a, a truth behind your fears. And, uh, and so I get that. And I, and I think that maybe we should be trying to look for ways to help each other rather than fighting over this issue. But the, the problem is that it's, it's not always just the charitable side. There's sort of a, an angry, aggressive side to this, too. You know, when people attack you or even just rate you because you're wearing a mask, which has happened to a number of my, my, my colleagues around the country talk about being screamed at by people. Why are you wearing a mask? Take off that mask. You know, when, when people sort of step out of their own areas of anxiety and, and use that to be aggressive to others. That, that, that I find really hard to forgive. Dr. Gill, you, you mentioned um, that you, you do see some, some light at the end of the tunnel, the, the prospect for the country pulling together and, and getting through this, which is definitely nice to hear. But still, with, with you and, and, and your colleagues, uh, as, as you yourself described it, you know, thinking about this, you know, it's inescapable pretty much every every minute of, of the day. How worried are you about, about burnout? Because it's still, there might be light at the end of the tunnel, but it, it's it's going to be a while still, right? Yeah, I really do worry about it. And that's that's what I'm, I guess I'm sort of getting at when I, I'm talking about, like, how do we keep ourselves together over the next, you know, coming months? Um, we've already been through, what, five or six months now of this sort of, you know, lockdown. And we're all thoroughly sick of our homes and our houses. And, you know, maybe our families, we're fed up with them too. And we just want to get out. And, you know, we want to stop picking up the newspaper and reading more bad statistics. We want, we want this to end. And, you know, it's really hard. I, I feel in some ways that now I have a little bit of a, a hint of an understanding of what it must have been like to live in England during the Second World War, during the bombing. You know, obviously, we're, we're not talking about people dropping bombs on your neighborhood. But, you know, that, that same sense of constant threat and dread and anxiety and then, you know, the fear of things coming from out of the sky, you know, in some ways it's a metaphor for things coming at you through the air. You know, you can't see them, you can't predict them, you can't really, you know, avoid them. Though I guess in this case we have masks and in, back in World War II they had bomb shelters. But th there's a lot of sort of metaphorical overlap between this. And, you know, the British 
suffered through it and came through it and were strong. We sent our soldiers to fight in Europe and in the South Pacific, and many of them didn't come back. And, you know, all of those families, uh, whole nation lived in a sense of anxiety and dread. The thing that I, I find that most distinguishes these two eras, and which makes me sad, is that in the Second World War, you know, we came together as a nation and we all had this sort of sense of shared purpose and shared need. And it was, you know, recognition of an existential threat to the, the country. And we all were in it together, you know, like, like in your show, in it together. And what makes me so sad about, you know, these arguments about masks and the politicization of social distancing and the COVID response is that it, that we haven't actually come together. We've split into two factions that are now in conflict with each other for no reason, for no reason at all right? We should all be this, in this together. There's absolutely no reason why we should be fighting. And in fact, if we had succeeded in coming together as a nation and accepting that, you know, social distancing helps and masks are critical, we would not be now looking at 170,000 deaths. We wouldn't be, you know, so somehow this is, this is a, a failure of the nation to, to live up to its, its ideals of, you know, one nation, you know, e pluribus unum, what happened to that? You know, I, I just had this kind of bizarre thought of it, at least in London during the Blitz, they, they, they could huddle together in, in, in the bomb shelters. And um, you know, mm. honestly, thinking about my mom, who, who her first memories of, were, were of um, some of her earliest memories were, were of the Nazis bombing England. And um, you know, now uh, I can't get out and see her and hug her. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's the tragedy is that you're right. We, 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 we've lost that ability to, to, to comfort each other physically, you know, through our presence, at least, because we're so afraid that we're a threat to our loved ones. Um, that, that is, again, such a cruel irony to all of this. You know, we're, we're all afraid, and yet we are physically separated from each other at a time when we should be hugging each other. But, you know, you can't do that. You know, it, it had long been almost a, a standard question on, on the show, uh, talking with, with, with people like you, uh, asking what you were doing specifically to, to take care of yourself mentally and emotionally. And, and honestly, it's something we've fallen out of asking over the last few months, I think, just because this has worn on us so much. So I actually just want to ask the question again and ask maybe how it has, how it's changed for you, you know, yeah. through the duration here. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, well, I bought a sailboat. <laughs> um, I, I, I mean, I, I had sort of been planning to do this for a while, but this, the sailboat did come, and and so I've been spending a lot of time, you know, fantasizing about sailing, <laughs> um, and occasionally actually sailing, but mostly thinking about it, and and of course spending lots of money at West Marine to buy things that 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 haven't really been used yet. My wife uh, also got us a golden retriever puppy, though he, he got big fast, but <laughs> but it's been really lovely to have that dog uh, in our homes. Uh, and then, you know, a funny one was that we've had more time with our daughters uh, and our children um, in some cases because of this. And, and so that has been a curious blessing to all be locked down together. I don't know. We live out in a, in a leafy part of the country. We're really fortunate. We spend a lot of time in the garden growing things. Uh, and that I find is a great relief. And, and then I feel so guilty when I, when I get in my car and I drive into Boston and, and you know, everybody is wearing masks, walking up and down the streets and, and there's really nowhere to go and nowhere to sort of like find that, that sense of openness and peace and just 
you know, sense of physical safety where you're you're away from the threat of COVID-19. Um, you know, we are we are so fortunate to be where we are. It's uh, you know, it's hard to measure that. Yeah. Well, please don't you feel guilty about getting any 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 relief. You you, you certainly shouldn't. And um, uh, well, I mean, I, th- I think what what you guys are doing with this show is is so great, if I may say so. I mean, it, it and I I admire the choice you made to call the show what you did. Um, I think I would think it was spot on, uh, and I and I love listening to you guys every day. It cheers me up a little bit. And I, I'm I'm just grateful that you guys have you know had the had the the foresight to put this together in such short time. Well, please don't you feel guilty about getting any 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 relief. You you, you certainly shouldn't. And um... I mean, I th- I think what what you guys are doing with this show is is so great, if I may say so. I admire the choice you made to call the show what you did. Um, I think I would think it was spot on. Uh, and I and I love listening to you guys every day. It cheers me up a little bit, and I, I'm I'm just grateful that you guys have had the the foresight to put this together in such short time. Well, thank you so much, and and Dr. Gill, you know it's always always a pleasure speaking with you. This has been uh, a particular pleasure, though I I have to, I have to say connecting like like this, and um, appreciate that you appreciate the show, and that this is this kind of conversation is is, is why why we're doing it. And, well, I, um, I sure hope that when all this is, when all this is done, that I, we can actually meet up in person and have have a beer or something. That that would be great. And um, like like Lucky, we've been appreciating my family more, and we also have a new puppy, so we can get our families and our and our dogs together. Would, would outstanding. Be awesome. <laughs> Look forward to that, Doctor Gill. Uh, you know, again, great pleasure. Thank you. Take care. That's Dr. Christopher Gill from BU School of Public Health. Thanks for listening to In It Together, the podcast from WGBH News in Boston. You can listen to the full show live Monday through Thursday on 89.7 FM if you're in the Boston area, or you can stream online at our website, wgbhnews.org. You can listen to full episodes there as well. Our show is produced by Amanda Beeland and Matt Baskin. Our technical director is Bill Piacitelli. All music written and produced by Elio DeLuca. See you tomorrow, and remember, we're all in it together.